Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneur, where investors meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing real estate. And today we have another powerful female entrepreneur that's going to speak with us on maximizing profits in real estate while protecting the downside. So risk is very important. So we're going to talk about that today. My name is Peter Leung and I'm a global real estate investor. I own, invest and develop properties all around the world. You may have seen me in videos or on stage working with serial entrepreneurs and investors as well. I also am a private equity business and angel investor. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at I'm Peter Leung. It is also on Facebook where I share ideas, videos, and inspirations as I journey to intergenerational wealth. If you have any questions, email us at podcast at IamPeterLeung.com. And for those who have deals, send it to deals at Peter, I, I'm PeterLeung.com. And I am honored and privileged to introduce a friend, somebody who I've grown to love and enjoy speaking with on such a high level, somebody who's macro and micro driven, has experience in so many different ways, developed a multi million pound property portfolio. She is also buying and selling businesses as well as actively investing in startups. I introduce you, Ms. Bingbing Chang. She is here to bless us with some of her experience and knowledge. So welcome, Bingbing. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. You are incredible. So I just want to let everybody know you are incredible. So you've also traveled around the world, worked with many roles in multinational companies, you're a mother of two and now a family, a full-time property investor as well. And, re, and you've significantly replaced your full-time income with now your real estate income. So yeah. tell us about how this, how you got in this journey and how you got into real estate. Um, okay. It's a bit of a, a long story. I think if we, if we keep it short, I think I didn't actively get into it. If anything, I was happy in my little bubble living and drinking and eating perhaps or thinking like an employee uh, just about five years ago. Then it's really with the birth of our second child um, and quite a life-changing event happened is when we discovered um, there was some neurodevelopmental challenges with our first child. So both events happened very close to each other and this was, that was the very first time I realized um, life, living this formula of, you know, coming out of uni, get a good job, get a mortgage, just doesn't really work for me anymore. And also there's always an inkling uh, of being an entrepreneur or an investor. I've always been very interested in that. So long story short, lots of things happened. Then we found mentors. Um, we actively looked into what or how we can build another income stream. And as Peter, as we've discussed, I looked at having emerges and acquisitions background. I looked at buying smaller businesses so um, I can establish an income stream relatively quickly or I can improve the EBITDA and flip it on for a profit. Regardless of which way I can establish an income stream that right. would free me up and or my husband to focus more on the kids. Yeah. Um, and that was a bit at the height of the market and the lending just wasn't easily available for someone who's always been an employee, even though I've had very significant corporate background. And hence then, I discovered the UK property market, uh, not only it's very liquid, but the government is extremely investor friendly. There's this thing called buy to let mortgage that you know extremely well, which is something that didn't exist, well, doesn't really exist elsewhere. And that means institutional lenders are happy to lend you 
at very low rate. So it's like me discovering a gold mine. You know, someone's going to lend me shit loads of money at such low interest rate to buy my own property, build my own portfolio. And as long as I can add value, I can um, secure the return. I can do that with investor funds as well. Right. So without going on too much about it, that's how we got into property. And five years down, this is where, I, where we are. So it took you five years to build a multi-million pound portfolio. And, that, and that's essentially replaced your income. I mean, you've worked yeah. in the corporate life for quite a few years. And so yeah. this really became yeah. like, I mean, at what point did you choose to give up that career? Because you had a, a very good job by every means. I mean, what, what, at what point did you go, you know what, I'm actually probably better off doing property full time. Oh, uh, Peter, that's a very philosophical question, actually. I think, um, if anything, I think the financial side of it, initially, I thought that would be the key driver. But after, ultimately, it actually wasn't. It's more a self-identity issue. You know, when you've identified when this career, this climbing a corporate ladder, one day become the CFO, the CEO of the biggest company, one of the biggest companies in the world, uh, especially I was, you know, on this fast track program, you were told you are one of the very few people that will make it, blah, blah, blah. And that itself gets into your head. And after a while, you start to identify with that. You, as I mentioned, you feel as this employee and you wanted it, regardless of whether it's really for you or not, you still wanted it anyway. Right. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest thing I have to let go. Uh, and over a five year period, I think uh, the personal journey um, is a lot more, is a lot deeper than the financial journey. So as income from the real estate business and a few other investments slowly build up, I've also opened my eyes to another side of the world is when you come out of that boardroom, that office, actually, uh, there are beautiful gardens out there. There are people, interesting like yourself, that you would meet, that you just wouldn't be able to meet in those institutions that give a very different dimension to life. Right. And the big decision really only just came at the end of last year or even earlier this year. So it wasn't, it's brand new, absolutely brand new. Uh, and obviously right. then the virus hit, so. So I have uh, to say, yeah. and I yeah. do say this periodically to my investors as well as uh, you know, other entrepreneurs, I say, welcome to the other side. Uh, welcome yep. to the side of freedom. Welcome to the side where you get to control your future. You get to determine what you want to do and how you want your family uh, legacy to be. So welcome to the, uh, the flexibility and, and, and the different life of, of corporate. Yep. So, Not the dark side, but the you've other seen, side. you've seen, <laughs> you know, you've worked on, you know, at a C level, um, these multinational companies. So, you know, cause risk is always something we discuss when it comes yeah. to investing. Right. And, and that was something that you and I immediately clicked on because we're both looking at risk and, uh, and, and maximization. So a level three risk, a level five reward rather than, you know, going one for one or, or going for high risk, high return. So can you share with us some of your experience, of course, in, also in your background, in your career in corporate, and how some of your experience can be related to property in terms of protecting downside and maximizing profit? Can you share with us some of the risk management things that you can do in, uh, in, in property? Yes, of course. Actually, Peter, again, you raised such a great point on risk. 
because coming from the corporate background where I've learned how to do deals, how to do investments more systematically or holistically, uh, obviously I don't take credit. It's a system that many, many clever people have developed, but I did have the luxury to learn it. If I apply that lens to the more relatively small or more medium property investor space, I really see a significant lack in not just the application, but the knowledge of risk in itself. Because risk is not about stopping you from doing things. Risk management is an enabler uh, to people to do more and to do better deals. So a few things um, I can immediately think of, for example, one is when you discuss a deal, when you evaluate a deal. Uh, for example, in my corporate world, you look at your downside, you look at your upside, your scenario, okay, your investment, time period, your returns, profit, cash flow, etc. And once that's done, it's more or less done, then you spend almost half, if not at least a third of your time mitigating and managing the downside. And for right. the risk, you then can't mitigate or reduce to a comfortable level Then you discuss with your investor, with your partner, with your builder in terms of the allocation of that risk. So who takes this risk? You know, yes, I, I'm probably the, doing the build work I'm, or I'm the investor, but it doesn't mean I automatically take the build risk. Mm -hmm. So if a cost does overrun, the investor can take it, the builder can take it, or can allocate it differently. So it's crystal clear how risk are being managed and shared. Whereas then if I look at more in the property space, I think people don't really think about it. A, a lot of thinking and discussion goes into the upside. How much profit can we make? How many units can we build? Uh, how many can we sold to oversee investors off plan, etc. And then maybe five minutes or uh, while, you, while you've stand, stood up from the table on the way to the lift, you have a quick chat about risk and how to manage it. It's a bit of an exaggeration, but people just don't think through it. And that yes. I feel is really something that differentiates an, a great investor from a good enough investor. And in terms of how to manage it, I think there, there's so much, you know, there's it's something I could probably be talking about for weeks and weeks. I think a lot <laughs> of people focus too much on deal risk alone without really zooming out, looking at portfolio risk. Because when you take on a new deal, not only this deal brings risk, it then changes your overall portfolio. In an ideal world, is accretive to your portfolio value, but it changes the deal, the risk dynamic. Are you now overexposed to a certain location, to a certain tenant type, to a particular builder? You know, if you think of the risk like a pie, how does that change? Uh, and it's totally fine if you're happy to take it, but more aware of it. Um, and the macro and, you know, micro right. risk, so, et cetera. Yeah. So maybe like at, at this point, I mean, of course, we're in the midst of COVID. And I know you're in the UK, obviously, yes. there's still a lockdown in yep. some parts of the world, like Canada, we're starting to start to see some provinces ease up in, in uh, US, some of the cities are starting to reboot now, uh, where I'm in Hong Kong, and we never really had a formal lockdown. But, you know, some of that risk, I just wanted to, you know, pick your brain here, because you're talking about a lot of people invest in only one asset class. Like I only do residential and then I'm not yeah. even going to look at commercial. I only invest in Canada, but I've never invested into UK or perhaps then there's also, uh, you know, uh, currency risks. Right. Um, you know, and, and so a lot of people don't as investors don't really look at how they can structure their portfolio to mitigate risk because they only do one thing. And if one thing goes down, especially with COVID this time, 
one sector like commercial property goes down because you're shutting all businesses, all of a sudden there's investors who are prone, who've never seen these risks coming, now significantly seeing a downside where they're not collecting rent, where, they're, where tenants are, um, are now at default. So how, yep. you know, in, in what way can you put some light to share with our listeners here how to think bigger or more macro so you can have risk in consideration? Because a lot of our listeners here are not looking at perhaps one property or two properties. Um, how, can they, how can they look at that more macroly and, and build a portfolio or build a business where the risk is, uh, is, is protected? Okay. Um, again, quite a few angles to that. I think it, it, it depends on wh which, where you are, it, the answer is extremely different. Let's say if you are in the, uh, in, in the tough, on the tough seat, let's say at the moment, you do have a property portfolio, then the, uh, and if it is commercial, then you are probably, most likely the business is suffering slightly, um, or a residential uh, with tenant type that's probably not highly affluent. So the affordability curve's probably going to go down. I think what we are doing, because um, we do have a property portfolio, more residential, is absolutely, it's about survival. Mm. I think it's about protecting the portfolio. Um, it's about preserving cash. So some a few things we've done, for example, we've paused, uh, we've Pulse essentially pulled out a few of the ongoing purchases. They could still be good deals to be had. At, and right. I'm not expecting other people to buy them really, but if they do, then they do. But for us, I feel much more comfortable sitting on a pile of cash at the moment right. um, because I already have a portfolio. So uh, I think for both residential and commercial property owners or landlords at the moment, that's um, survival and also stress test. So we've taken, um, we've looked at all our properties one by one the day after the lockdown and looked at who is the tenant um, or the company because we have quite a few corporate lets as well. Um, are they going to survive? In the short term, the government is holding it up. So it's okay. I, I don't know about other places in the UK. The government has all these schemes, loans to keep small business going. However, I think there's no doubt. Well, not there's no doubt. It's my view, really. Um, a lot of the de demand is dropping. You know, when you look at the property market, especially in a country like UK, where it attracts quite a lot of tourists and Hong Kong as well, is there's a base load that's for people who live here. And then you have a floating load that's for this global population that moves around. Yes. And now that load basically is gone. It's unlikely to come back very fast. Will it come back? Yes. But that's a, a question of when. And while that demand is gone, clearly price and rent will go down. And it's, it's not anyone's fault. That's just you know, the power of the market. Um, so we've taken our tenants one by one, really stress test and evaluated what's our cash flow at risk and right. ask ourselves, in the worst case scenarios, can we survive? How long can we last? And we've called up a few investors to just check in to say, look, we think we're okay. Most likely we're okay because I was very um, calculative with my gearing level, with our property types in terms of the risk spread. Um, but in the event, in the very unlikely event, I needed to cash in or to sell something, do something quickly. Can you be there to help us? And we've got three invested that said yes. 
you know there's no problem if you really need something give me a call so for existing landlords i think if you can do any of those so instead of feeling the worry or fear you really put numbers wow. around. You, yeah you you feel yeah. more comfortable now that you know where the risks are because the good thing is these are properties they're not they're not like stocks and shares and bonds you know they they wouldn't evaporate overnight yes. but i think the point is about keeping them afloat and survive through it whereas if you're in the other camp probably the relatively luckier camp that's looking to get into a property or have the cash to buy probably um in the coming weeks or months uh, etc then i think um i think it's it's more about again understanding that nobody can really get the market right because i've got loads of questions now uh, from people saying hey do you think the interest is going to keep dropping do you think interest is going to go up do you think the price has bottomed yet do you think it will keep dropping if i want to get into publish should i do it now shall i wait until next month um, and my answer is always we you can never expect to time the market right a good deal is a good deal it needs to be evaluated on a deal by deal basis. And obviously if you can spread it across different currencies, um, then that's a good thing. But that also relies, or is related to what's your cash inflow. So let's say you live in Hong Kong. Yeah. So I'm thinking majority of your expense is in Hong Kong dollars. So then it makes sense to have income stream that matches that expense to a certain level that you can hedge the other risks, but you wouldn't want majority of income to be in a very different currency. So you have to have a level of balance. And in addition to that, once you've matched the majority of your cash inflow or cash outflow, uh, then the addition in addition to that is more like, you know, you can then look globally, you know, when, when oil price drops, dollar tend to go up. Um, and you know brexit with the uk pound etc etc without going into too much detail so i think those things need to be considered and then coming back to buying uh, etc location etc i think it's really more on a deal by deal basis so instead of trying to time the market you know to to be opportunistic it's really it needs to be more strategic Yes, yeah. property has to be right, currency has to be right, the country has to be right, the location, you know, the city, the street, everything has to come together. Then if it's a good deal, then it's worth doing. So it's not by chance that you got, you know, everything is, what, you, what you've just demonstrated is very methodical. There's a strategy, there's an idea, there's particulars that you're looking for when you're doing property. And it's just not, oh, I came across something and therefore I'm going to go buy it. Um, you know, Bing Bing, what, can I ask you this very quick one? How, yeah. you know, you mentioned yeah. this, how much of a reserve do you keep in this case? I mean, th I get that asked all the time and whether it's commercial or resident, mostly commercial people ask me this, how, how much reserve do you keep? How many months of reserves or uh, emergency capital do you keep for the, for the property? Uh, as you were discussing with other investors, can you give us a number? How many months or, or what that ratio is how how much do you keep as a reserve uh for your properties um so what we do is every month we put aside five percent of the cash flow um, as a maintenance fund because you know the, the when when you run properties you know there are things that are bigger like a boiler or the roof uh so those so we want we, we avoid those risks anyway yeah. And we generally never gear up over 75% loan to value, right. which is fairly conservative, yeah. which means if I need to flip any market 
any property onto the market very quickly, that property can stand alone, can pay off its own mortgage. If right. you know, for whatever reason you need to get rid of it quickly. Yeah. And then in addition to that, we also put aside 10% of the equity value. So as we buy one more property, we put aside more. Right. And that, so that just you keep, you keep building up the portfolio then, right? Exactly. Because I my so anyway, that question I think is is a million dollar question. It's very, very hard to say. You know, in today's world, you would think, oh, I should have put aside twenty percent. You know, if you're coming out of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you probably don't need to put aside too much. Uh, so it's not a it, it's not a science, it's probably more an art, is how you feel uh, kind of exposed your portfolio is um and also how well it's maintained how attractive it is to tenants for example the market is at a standing still right now the tenant market in uk but we've just rented the last two of our properties so now our occupancy rate is back at 100 percent again literally happened yesterday Um, and that was because we have a very good lettings agency brand we have a very solid team our we, we don't use it Lettings agents, you know, no offense to lettings agents, but I've not had a very good experience with them. So we do everything in-house. Sorry, we do everything in-house. Yes. I mean, we have a team that does everything, but we, we, we've tried, it just didn't work. You know, I think there's inherent almost conflict of interest between lettings agents and the property owner because they charge you for tenant find, tenant change. And if the tenant is really good paying rent every month, then there's not much money (laughs) exactly and their profit is very little and I do feel they're not it's it's hard work it's not easy for them to only be paid 10 percent you know for a few hundred pounds a month it's actually just not enough um and that's why the turnover is so high as well people don't stay in those jobs long so every time the tenancy a different person blah blah I can again talk again on lettings agents um so we've brought everything in-house I think not long after we started investing and that's for us yeah, that's really good because essentially that what that allows you to do is all these things you're talking about is risk mitigating, right? Yeah. These are all things that you're doing that will reduce the, the turnover, which obviously maximizes your profit. You're talking about how you can make sure that people stay, how you can also enhance your, um, you know, and then reduce turnover is the biggest thing, right? It, oh, yeah. It allows yeah. You Void to kills the property business. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, so, so we've now, yeah, it, it's like protecting the cash flow, right? Uh, we've now got uh, all of, because people these days, they need somewhere to live, uh, but they don't want to view, they don't want to go, you know, they can't go on right move and see 10 properties in one day. They just want a good place to move in straight away. So they yeah. came through referrals a lot. So uh, and our, um, our properties are very, what we think very high spec, as I mentioned to you, you know, we have blackout curtains, we have memory for mattresses. They, they don't cost the bank really, um, if you are smart with your procurement. Anyway, so by offer a very solid product to your customer, uh, you really, really protect that cash flow and mitigate yeah. that risk. Uh, and yes, so that's just, I think, something that comes together with your cash reserves. So, but if, let's say, your, um, your property is old, it's tired, you know, the curtain rail is constantly falling down, you have to use scotch tape, then I think you need a lot more reserve yes. okay. to, be, 
Do you see what I mean? So it's a bit of a judgment call, but I think 10%-ish is probably where I feel comfortable of the equity value. Okay. So yeah. moving in that similar direction, um, in terms of joint ventures and structures mm. of you doing business, yeah. because you do, like you say, you work with other investors, you're building a multi-million dollar pound portfolio. Um, how, you know, of course, working with other investors are great, you know, on the upside, but that also presents similar risks. A lot of investors are looking for, you know, in my case, I'm, I, I said to people, I'm funding deals. I'm funding tons of deals, right? And yeah. if you've got deals, come, come to me for deals and I'll look at evaluating them and partner with you on it. So what's your take on joint ventures and how do you structure them? Or, you know, can you shed some light on how those things come as you know, an importance in risk mitigation or to enhance your return. Because if you work with other investors, yeah. that's going to allow you to, um, you know, I mean, like anything else, it, it comes upside, comes the downside, right? Yes. So how do you structure that? And how do you work with a joint venture partner in this case? Um, yes. So I think, if anything, I'm very grateful for the experience and the, the, the ability that we've had working with investors. That's how really we got... Uh, off the ground and our first three deals were all enabled by investor financing. Um, I guess mainly in, in theory, right, there are two camps. You either use equity or use debt. So depending on the risk people want and also the, the, um, the award they would like to have. And I would say how we structured it, we started off by offering equity. Yes. And that was A, because we needed to offer more uh, to attract investors because we were relatively new. And B, also, uh, we felt we were not 100% sure about our ability because those were our early deals. So we felt that helped us mitigate our risk. Uh, and the one thing I mentioned, for example, I've seen people on the risk point, um, I've seen people that's got a certain amount of savings, 50K, 100K, and they put it all in one deal. This mm -hmm. is all, and the plonk. And to me, though, I just think that's just not something you do. Um, maybe because I've been a corporate for a long time. If you, if you have 100K, you, you put aside 10K and you split it 30K, 30K, 30K. And then you try to find investor finance. You find ways to put in three deals. That's, to me, that's just the most natural way of doing things. Anyway, that, that's very much how we got started. Um, and every joint venture we've done has actually a little bit different structure because every investor is very different. The first one, if I elaborate a little bit more with Sama, I met through networking, um, interested in property, um, but is an overseas investor, lives in the UK, couldn't really raise a mortgage, actually in many ways, can't really be bothered. Um, so we got together and we, we bought a first property. We wanted to give it a go. We were not sure. You know, the first project is one of those. Um, and he said, actually, he, 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 well, obviously, we got to know him over a period of time, over a period of a few months. And he said he will fund our first refurb in exchange yeah. of something, uh, equity upside, because yeah. he doesn't really have a lot of downside. I mean, it's refurb, but the refurb, it's, it's not, there's no structural work. It's about breaking up a few walls and, putting in on suites and stuff and a general upgrade um, and for half of the profit, which is worked out to almost 20 to 30% for his cash in. Um, and the risk is low because we already bought the property. We already own the property. You know, we know the property inside out. The builders already given us a quote. So we've got to a point where we could have raised development finance on a long base and paid less. Right. Um, 
So for him, I think it's a very smart investment. For us, that was, um, we were very happy with it because we didn't have to incur the development loan interest upfront. So he gave us all of the money to do yeah. the work right? And he only start taking profit when we start getting cash inflow. So we completely mitigated our risk. So that mm -hmm. became a win-win. Even though a lot of people at the time were saying, oh, but you're offering too much, you know, you just signing up a very expensive loan. But I think this is one thing if anybody wants to work with investor finance, it's, it's never about offering too much. Mm -hmm. I think it's almost about offering a better deal for your investor than yourselves, because it's not a sprint, it's a it's a long-term relationship. And if they've worked Absolutely. well with you, they will come back again. So that's our first deal. And, and we learned a lot. We definitely overpaid. I think we paid uh, probably 20,000 pounds more than what we would have. Um, but the investor but was happy the with investor. You still have the investor today yep. available to you. See, that's the difference, right? Not nitpicking on dimes yeah. and cents is very important as an investor as well. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, and then for the second one and the third one, obviously we became a lot more confident. And, and by the third one, we asked for cash, everything upfront. So we didn't really use a, a bridging or a mortgage kind of the hybrid product to, right. to even do the purchase. So the investor funded the purchase of refurb everything. And we own half of the equity and half of the profit. Right. Um, so that's more a, a cookie cutter model we then have been using. But since then, we've had a few um, investors who, for all kinds of reasons, um, have either moved overseas, because uh, we tend to have international investors, you know, they don't really stay in one place for, so we've got one that moved to the Netherlands and ended up, ended up now in Dubai. And it just makes communication and management sometimes complicated. Mm. And for us, Two, three hundred thousand pounds is a decent amount of money for a lot of them. It just doesn't matter so much. So you just struggle to get hold of them when you need to make a decision with the accountant. Right. Um, so after a few of those experiences, we've kind of now scaled back in terms of using equity finance. We've moved more to on the debt finance side. So really, so it's really, to call it horses for courses, it's depending on the deal, how much we need, what's the level of risk, whether the investor wants a security first charge or not, then we agree on the more bespoke fixed interest over a period of time, mm -hmm. then we take them back. Then in that sense, I keep all of the decision-making control to myself. It just makes life a lot easier that way. Right. So that's, so what that's, we're doing. that's with a lot of that experience building, you know, over five years of your real estate career, that's where it's been able to, you know, build your credential, build your confidence, build your experience, build your, 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 your trade secrets, your, the ability for you to all around be more confident. And that's where you can now, you know, be able to offer just fixed interest or anything of that nature to your investors going, you know what, I, I, you know, the equity stays with me. I'm able to do some of these things. So it's, it's, it's fantastic how you progress oh, in five you. years and, and able to in five years completely replace the income and now be a full-time property investor. So uh, Bing Bing, I mean, you've shared some really key nuggets here. And of course, I would love to dwell into a lot more of those details. Um, but in the context of time, how, you know, how can somebody get a hold of you? How can they learn more from you? I know that, uh, you know, you're in the UK and you do a lot of property in, in there. So for those who are wanting more information about what you've shared with us today, how can they get a hold of you? Um. Yes. So people can find me, people can email me. I think that's probably the good old fashioned way. So at bingbing at 
chantillyassets.com. So it's C-H-A-N-T-I-L-L-Y assets.com. Um, and Chantilly is the name of the street of the first property we bought in Canada, actually. So that's really where the name came from. And uh, Or I have an Instagram account that's called dare to dream underscore bing bing. Um, people, can, people can find me there as well. Fantastic. Now, before we uh, finish up today, is there anything that you want to share with our viewers? Any tip? that you want to share with those who are wanting to get started or have already started their journey in property or perhaps even have a portfolio of, um, of real estate themselves. Is there anything that you would like to share with us as a tip? Um, yes, if anything, I would say I've learned uh, over my own experience, I think it's to um, take action either you're looking to get started or looking to scale up, to step up, is to, to give yourself the permission to move forward, to be great, to, to go for it. Obviously, manage your risks. It's not about doing it blindly. But yes, take action. Take massive action. Great. That be that. Bing, bing. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience and your expertise with us today. Thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. So for those who are listening, thank you very much for joining us today. Remember, property is not a get rich quick, but a get rich for sure. I didn't start off building a portfolio. It started with one and then it became five, then it became 10, then it became 30. So it all starts with you taking action. Thank you, Bing Bing, for that. There's no better time to get started in property than today for you to take control over the wealth that you deserve. So thank you for joining us. Until next time, we see you on this podcast.